Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the November 10th, 2021 uh, Board of Trustees meeting. This is actually the last Board of Trustees meeting regularly scheduled for the year. Uh, prior to us going into roll call, I do want to make the unfortunate announcement that I am in receipt of uh, the resignation of, uh, from trustee uh, Jeanette Dong, who served with us uh, since the top of the year. This is a scheduled a resignation. Trustee Dong actually stayed on longer than she was anticipating. So I'm sad to be in receipt of it, but just so you know, as we go into roll call. Um, with those words, uh, Madam Clerk. Uh, trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Esteen. Uh, she's here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Splendoria. Here. And Trustee Blue is absent today. We do have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Clerk. With that, uh, we'll, we'll go into public comment. As a reminder, this Board of Trustees welcomes public comment and our mantra is all feedback is a gift. Um, generally, uh, commentary which isn't for agendized items would come right here for non-agendized comment. Know that there is a process to do this. You need to inform the clerk of the board that you would like to make a public comment. And com public comment, of course, can be made for specific agenda items or for items in general. And that's the placement right here. Um, our time limits on speakers are generally speaking three minutes, but we adjust based on the volume of speakers. This evening, it looks like we only have one public speaker who has submitted for that, and that is Ms. Maxine Butler, who I see. Good evening, Ms. Butler. Um, uh, 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 if you'll mic check yourself, if you'll unmute yourself, uh, I'm about to give you the mic. Good evening. Good evening, Good evening Ms. Butler. We'll do three minutes on the clock for you. Please <laughs> know that the, the clerk of the board will give you a 30-second warning, okay, ma'am? Yes, yes, sir. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Maxine Butler, a Highland Hospital patient receiving adjuvant therapy for post-breast uh, and post-pancreatic cancer. I'm both a metastatic. Um, during, during the pancreatic cancer surgery, July of 2019, um, I sustained a third-degree chemical burn because Highland failed to monitor the epinephrine that was going into my forearm. I kept going into cardiac arrest and had died. Um, this is my second attempt to get a response from this administration as to why my claim was rejected. Um, during the uh, response from the Board of Trustee members I received on November 2nd, uh, they sided with the Alameda Health System's previous determination that my treatment was properly performed and that any monetary compensation would be a violation of law. I believe the administration's response to me makes a complete mockery of, of Highland's mission statement to promote the best level of care for its patients and the Hippocratic Oath, which says physicians do no harm. How is this a, a, a insult to me as a patient? Here I am, a fragile senior, absolutely shattered emotionally, physically, psychologically from the most deadly cancer that took the life of my mother and two great uncles pancreatic, metastatic, and under duress, the previous administration forced me to file my own claim, my own claim, which was subsequently denied in March 2020 with 
no reason, with no reason given, and also closed by patient safety February of 2021 with an unsigned letter. Whose best interests are at play here? Why this wall of silence? I have 30 years experience as a medical claims analyst and a biller working for a lifelong medical care and Blue Cross amongst other companies. And I would not be allowed to continue employment if I were to deny a claim and not give a denial reason. I find nothing to justify the position that Alameda Health System thinks that me, the patient who did not burn herself, has no justification to pursue any sort of a claim. And mind you, I also had to battle them discharging me early with less than 24-hour notice. And also they wanted to send me home to do my own uh, uh, IV treatments. And I want to thank you for you listening to my heart and that someday, soon, hopefully, this claim, which to me needs no has no basis for a denial, would be approved. And then in line with Highland's mission statement, the scars maybe have faded, but they haven't faded from my psyche. I'm a, I'm a soprano soloist, and I've had to make sure that this claim, that this scar at the time had to be covered up, covered up. I sang with the Oakland Symphony Chorus under our beloved Michael Morgan. Thank you. I am beyond blessed. Good evening. Thank you for your feedback, Ms. Butler. Um, as we say, all feedback is a gift. So thank you for being brave and uh, to come and speak to this body. Madam Clerk, are there any other public comments noted here? No one has reached out to me for any. Okay. I'll give the chat room 10 seconds or so to see if anyone has come in. And you guys can look around for me. I don't see any hands around. All right. With that, we'll close out public comment. And we'll go into the executive officer's report. For those of you from the public who've been attending know that we introduce an article uh, at, at every uh, board of trustees meeting. This is our last article of the year, I guess the coda of the year, if you will. I'm sad to introduce this article, um, but I think it does an important, it's an important reflection for this organization. This article is entitled, Local Leaders Recall Alameda County Supervisor Wilma Chan as a quote, quiet power. And I think that's an apropos article selection for us. I hope uh, uh, those of you in the public have been able to read the article. It, it's a nice, it, it's a nice homage to, to the supervisor. Uh, I'll hold my comments for right now. I would like to invite former trustee Jeanette Dong to say a few words um, on this issue, Madam Dong. Thank you, um, Mr. Chair. I really wanted, it's been a week um, since Wilma's accident. And I'm sorry. I wanted to come and thank the Highland staff um, and how grateful the family, I'm here representing the family of Wilma Chan how grateful we are for the support and care during this horrific accident. I really want to also thank uh, James and Taft for being there 
with us at the hospital. It meant a lot. But I also want to say thank you to Michelle Hepburn, to Ann James, and for me, especially Sandra Williams. Sandra, I think you're on the call. I cannot express enough what you meant to me last week, last week in the afternoon at Highland. I cannot express my gratitude enough. So on behalf of the family of Wilma Chan and myself, I will want to express the great amount of gratitude to all the folks at Highland. And I, I don't know the name of the attending physicians and nurses, but later when we are finished grieving and we bury her, I will come back and express my direct gratitude through um, Mr. Jackson. So um, I thank you for this opportunity um, to express the family's gratefulness. And thank you, Taff, for uh, placing that article. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Wilma Chan was my friend for 33 years. Um, I was her chief for five of the 33, and she has been and always will be my sister and kindred spirit. So, so much appreciation for all of you who've reached out to me and the family. Um, and those of you who know Wilma, I thank you. I know Rebecca from her staff is on the line. Thank you, Rebecca, for continuing the good work and being here tonight. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say thank you to the Highland staff and those folks and, and Taft and James. So much appreciation. Thank you, Jeanette. Trustees, any comments? Um, I'll go. Um, I was uh, Wilma's first chief of staff when she came to the county in 1996 in her first stint as supervisor. And then when I shifted over to run first five Alameda County, Wilma was the chair uh, for many of those years that I was there. Um, she was a shining example of a quiet leader, a humble leader, a focused and dedicated leader. She had her priorities and she developed a depth of understanding of healthcare, early education, housing and homelessness, and, and fighting poverty that's very rare amongst elected officials. Um, she's a woman who uh, physical stature was small, but her spiritual stature, her leadership was huge. And, you know, many of us would not be on this board if it wasn't for her. And uh, uh, Alameda Health System would be uh, much less of a rich institution if it hadn't been for her leadership uh, all throughout her time as an elected official, both on the Board of Soups and when she was on the uh, in the State Assembly. So uh, it was an honor to have known her and work closely with her and, um, you know, to know what an impact she made on so many lives. Mark, thank you for those words. Kinkinny. 
Thank you, um, Chair. Um, I think words are inadequate to express the grief from the shocking de uh, demise of Supervisor Chan. Um, just my deepest condolences to Supervisor Chan's family, her beloved staff, and to so many who were fortunate to know and love her and to have been loved by her. And this is just such a colossal loss on so many levels and will impact every single person in our county. Supervisor Chan represented my home city of San Leandro. Um, and just what a tireless advocate for health and human needs, for education. She was brilliant. And she combined her breadth and depth of knowledge with this absolutely razor sharp analysis and a compassion for and a real tireless dedication for community service. Um, her persistence, decisiveness, and masterful negotiation with Sutter to transfer ownership of San Leandro Hospital to Alameda Health System allowed the only acute care hospital in our city at that time to be kept open. As a resident, I know that lives would have been lost and treatment delayed if community members had to seek medical care in neighboring cities. So many jobs were retained because of that. Our, our, um, the devastation if, um, if San Leandro Hospital had been closed cannot be uh, you know, over, over um, shared. And then just again, incredibly knowledgeable. She broke so many ceilings and I am on the board because of her, I owe that. I remember uh, Jeanette coming and meeting you and her and having that conversation, being reluctant at first because I felt like I um, would I do justice to this um, to this opportunity and having those in-depth conversations with her over these years, being able to meet her and be inspired on so many ways because as of uh, she broke barriers for so many of us who, uh, because she came before us, but also the fact that one can have that kind of, you know, um, just a passion for public service and to have had such deep impact on, on the things that really make a difference and closing and uh, having such an analysis for closing the inequities, whether it's in economic, whether it's education, whether it's health, in all of those exact things that matter to the quality of life of our folks. Um, again, this, this, this tenure on the board um, and this opportunity to be here is, I hope that her, that moving forward, we can honor her legacy in many, many ways. But I think the best thing we could do is to stay focused on the her North Star of what she wanted us to achieve. Um, looking around there, we can't walk into any facility, whether it's the acute care tower, whether others without seeing her influence and impact in every single corner, but uh, just, uh, 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 you know, um, staying true um, to her priorities will be a way for us to build the sustainability um, and serve the community in the way that we they are community needs and demands to be served. And um, as I say that, I also want to say thank you and goodbye to 
um, Jeanette Petrosti Dong, who has just been invaluable on the board. Thank you. Thank you, Kinkini. Trustee Jensen. Um, I am that, that I actually that's interesting that you say that, um, Trustee um, Banerjee, because I I I was hoping to be appointed to the the Alameda Healthcare District Board when it was established in um, 2002, and um, Supervisor Chen didn't think I was ready at that time, and so um, I was. Um, and Supervisor Chen became, um, went to the, to the assembly and I went to the school board. And so we ended up working together on, um, things, other things at the, at that point later. But, um, I, you know, being in Alameda, it's really, it's really been a challenge for, for many reasons for me. And I, um, I'm struggling to make sense of the circumstances surrounding, surrounding the death of Alameda resident Supervisor Chan. And, and I've just been looking around Alameda and thinking about the progress on the island because of a lot of her work. The, um, the communities that the former Naval Air Station, I think, began with Supervisor Chan when she was a supervisor. She began the negotiations as a supervisor and then progressed at Naval Air Station with the Assembly member Chan's legislation the historic um, Woodstock Child Development Center was another area I'm sure that Mark and Jeanette both remember. She was so helpful with that to um, keep it open. It would it would be it would have been closed for many many years by now, and it's still open twenty more than 20, 20, almost twenty five years later, thanks to um, to Wilma's work and serving two hundred families. Um, there's so many other ways that Wilma contributed to my community's vitality. As she did throughout Alameda County, um, but the lasting legacy I think for now is her support for Alameda Hospital. Um, I'm certain that Assemblymember Chan's signature on the ballot measure that um, to establish the City of Alameda Healthcare District encouraged the majority of Alameda voters to keep Alameda Hospital open. Her signature um, on the ballot argument. And, and the ballot argument that Wilma Chen signed in 2002, and I just reread it, and it said in part, quote, no one knows when a life-threatening emergency will strike. Um, our friend and colleague's life was incomprehensible, cut short, and we mourn the loss of, the community, of our community leader, and, and we'll, just, we'll just remember her, and we'll just look at all of the, of the wonderful legacies that she's left for all of us all throughout all throughout the county and even throughout the state. Thank you for those nice words, Tracy. Looking around to other trustees, different opportunity. Yeah, oh, sure, Chad. Yeah. Trustee Esteen, then Trustee Splendorio. I was appointed to the board by Supervisor Chan um, after the strike last fall. And it was an opportunity for growth, for sure. I can relate to that, Kim Kenny. Um, I looked forward to learning from Supervisor Chan over the course of my tenure as a trustee and am very sad 
that a woman with such a broad, vast, deep legacy for advocacy and change making in this state and in our county uh, is no longer with us. The work that she did is, I moved to the Bay Area in 2001 and she was already leading in major ways. Um, you know, her legacy is just, it's, it's difficult to put into words because it's so vast. It would take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages to capture all the glory that she deserves. Um, she will be missed. And I hope that the honor continues to pour out in her memory. Thank you for making time tonight, board chair. Yes, ma'am. Uh, thanks, Taft. Um, so um, I think it's tragic and such an unfortunate loss. Um, and um, I hope she is honored in a great many ways in the future because without her light and leadership, um, there's a great void that will need to be filled. Thank you, Trustee Slendorio. Apologies, I had an audiovisual meltdown, so I didn't get to hear all of that. So, Trustee Fox, sir. I was appointed to this board by Supervisor Chan. Although I never met her face to face, I did meet her on several Zoom calls. And uh, all I have to say is she was uh, very successful and someone who got a lot of things done by perseverance and also by compromise. And I, I wish all of the politicians that we have working across the country would take that example to heart. She'll be missed. Thank you, Trustee Fox. I guess saying, you know, my words are the following. Um, Wilma Chan was an unstoppable champion for healthcare and the most vulnerable. So it makes sense, perfect sense, that Wilma Chan and Alameda Health System were kindred spirits over this past almost quarter of a century relationship they've had together, that we've had together. In the article, two quotes found some poignancy with me uh, in reference to the supervisor. San Leandro Mayor Pauline Cutter said, she made such a huge difference in the lives of our residents that they will never know. Senator Nancy Skinner said, we're going to forever reap the benefits of her work. And for me, those were poignant as they kind of relate to us. She's made a huge difference in our health system that many of us in the years to come will never really even know. And we will forever reap the benefits of the contribution she's made to our system. And uh, many of them will be unsung. Tonight, they won't be unsung, but in the future, they might be. But we will know that we will benefit from the work she's done from our system. So last, last week, Alameda Health System lost one of our greatest champions in Supervisor Wilma Chan. Her impact on our system has been immeasurable and her legacy, if anyone of us have anything to do it, which we will, will be long lasting. Um, I, I, I give condolences to the family and to all those who, who loved Wilma. I think that's all the trustees. I'll open it up for uh, comments. Mr. Jackson, sir. Thank you very much, Chair Bouquet. I will hold my comments until my CEO report. I will be speaking about the supervisor in my report. 
Okay. Thank you, sir. With that, we'll all take a deep breath and we'll end item A. All right. Let's go to item B, the CEO report. Bye, Jeanette. Thank you for your service. This is going to be missed. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate, as always, the opportunity to present to the trustees. And um, this evening, my board report, uh, my CEO report, is slightly different in that I will start off with um, comments and tribute to Supervisor Chan. And so, uh, next slide, please. Very good. Um, one more, advance one more, please. Wilma Chan was a longtime stalwart supporter of the Alameda County community in general and of the Alameda Health System specifically. Supervisor Chan won election to the Alameda County Board of Suits in 1994, the first Asian American to do so. And she was reelected unopposed in 1998. In 2000, while serving as president of the board, she was elected to the California State Assembly and resigned her seat on the Board of Suits. During Supervisor Chan's term, she chaired the county's committee on health. She was the first chair of the Alameda County Children and Families Commission that annually distributed $20 million for children's services. As a member of the Board of Supervisors, she worked to expand the number of school-based health clinics and worked to restore benefits to legal immigrants. She initiated a pilot welfare-to-work project in Oakland's San Antonio neighborhood and developed the strategic plan on the future of healthcare services in Alameda County. During her six years in the assembly, she passed more than 70 bills and resolutions. Her primary legislative areas included healthcare, senior services, early childhood education, environmental health, jobs, and economic development. Wilma Chan authored legislation to phase out birth defect and cancer-causing chemicals in California. She also expanded preschool opportunities for toddlers by working to gain $100 million in the state budget. She also carried landmark legislation to make affordable health insurance available to 800,000 uninsured California children. In 2010, Wilma Chan ran for her old seat on the Alameda County Board of Soups and won with a 54.6% margin of the vote and was reelected unopposed in 2014. One of uh, Supervisor Chan's most significant accomplishments as a supervisor was keeping San Leandro Hospital open, as was alluded to a moment ago, after Sutter Health announced it would close the facility. At the time, San Leandro Hospital was the only acute care facility in San Leandro with its emergency room, serving over 26,000 people annually and had almost 4,000 inpatient admissions annually. Supervisor Chan proposed that the city of San Leandro donate $1 million a year over a three-year period, and this amount, which was matched by funds from Alameda County, provided a subsidy to keep the hospital open until it could achieve profitability as part of its transfer to public ownership by the Alameda Health System. Then, San Leandro Mayor Stephen Cassidy credited Chan with saving the hospital. Wilma Chan's work was extraordinary. Our deal was dead, but she persisted, sustained it, and moved it forward. Personally, as the Alameda Health System lead on the acquisition and integration of San Leandro Hospital into this system, I had the opportunity to work somewhat closely with Supervisor Chan, and I found her to be a font of strength and resolve. She was not going to let the deal fail, and her force of will was instrumental in the consummation of the deal that resulted in San Leandro remaining a viable asset, serving that community and a critical element of the AHS spectrum of services. 
Here at AHS, our flags are at half-mast in our honor currently and will remain so for this week. And our board chair has authorized the preparation of a resolution in Supervisor Chan's honor. AHS will continue to seek ways to uplift and cherish the legacy and spirit of Supervisor Wilma Chan. Thank you all for your indulgence. Um, I considered Supervisor Chan a friend as well as a mentor and a colleague and um, her loss is felt deeply by many of us across the system and in this county. Next slide, please. Moving to my standard report, um, I just wanted to provide a brief update on the rounding process that I've been involved in. Um, the photo that you see there was taken yesterday um, over on Eads Street near the Coliseum at a a residential and it's the former comfort inn but our mobile health unit was there and so i had the opportunity to meet with um, dr johnson and cameron and martha and learn a little bit about the services they provide and also some of their needs and so it was a great opportunity to just familiarize myself with the work of the mobile health clinic um, my thanks to um that entire team they are doing phenomenal work and it was a pleasure to spend some time with them yesterday next slide please Gosh, that's extraordinarily small, and I apologize for that. Dave, I don't know if you can blow that up a little bit, but um, in addition to testing your eyesight, I wanted to share with you, this is a compilation of the visits that I've made thus far. And so um, just to give a graphic representation of my rounding thus far, and obviously this will continue um, into the future. I frankly don't have any intention of stopping the rounding. It's just been um, so beneficial to me as I learn the system, and I think allowing um, interactions and interface with the staff in a way that I just could not glean otherwise. And so I'm um, very grateful for the opportunity. And this obviously will be made available. So you'll have the opportunity to look in more detail at where I've been and where I'm going. Next slide, please. And our walks continue. And so um, most recently we walked at Lake Merritt. You can see we had a, a fun group. This was uh, just prior to um, Halloween. And so um, you can see me there in my Star Trek attire. Unfortunately, what you can't see is that I had on Star Trek shoes. And so I'm really quite proud of that. My wife isn't, but I'm quite proud of that. And um, we had a really nice time. And I just urge all of you to take the opportunity and join us if you're able to join us for these walks. Next slide, please. I wanted to spend a moment talking about the Afghanistan relocation efforts that we are participating in with the County Health Care Services Agency, as well as the State Office of Reg Refugee Health. And so on the 30th of October, we hosted a Welcome Afghan Health Connect event at our Hayward Wellness Center. It was um, very well received. Nearly 40 resettling Afghanis, um, including 10 families, were seen in just over five hours. We intend to continue this work. Um, via our refugee clinic, which is located at the Eastmont Services Center. But um, we're open to other ideas. Whatever we can do to facilitate the relocation of these uh, folks into our community, we're happy to do so. So I just wanted to share this. Next item. Oh, a few pictures from the event that was held at the Hayward Wellness Center, just to give you a, a sense of what happened. Um, gift bags were given out. Um, information about community resources that are available to them. And a lot of our staff volunteered their time to be present on a Saturday to make sure that these individuals were um, welcomed and received the care that they should. Next slide, please. 
And here's a, a listing of the 40 volunteers from across the organization, um, cross-sectional from all aspects of the organization. Um, so just from the bottom of my heart, real sincere gratitude to these folks who volunteer. Thank you. Uh, next slide, please. Quickly providing an update on COVID-19 vaccinations. As of the 8th, um, we have achieved 95% vaccination of our staff, which is really quite phenomenal. Um, we also have had 32% receive the booster. That's obviously much lower, but the booster is not required. And so that is something that we encourage and we're providing, but it was really about making sure that we had fully vaccinated staff. And so I'm very pleased uh, and proud to share that we have 95% who are fully vaccinated. We're still evaluating the religious waivers that we received. All medical waivers have been evaluated and those that were accepted, and I believe we accepted all of them. Um, there are a few religious waivers that continue to be assessed and they, our plan is to have those done by this Friday. Um, I will just note that we have made it clear to staff that if they don't hear from us by Friday on an outstanding religious waiver, they will not um, have any consequences. That's on our side of the equation. I believe we'll get them done, but we will not ask somebody to stop working without having given them um, full clarity about the status of their um, religious waiver request. Next slide, please. I wanted to talk about flu vaccinations. Um, this continues. This is something we do annually. And as of today, you can see that 71 um, a percent of our staff have participated and it says participated because either they've received the vaccine or they've declined. Um, 21% still need, excuse me, 29% still need to participate, 66%. So two thirds of our staff are in fact vaccinated, 5% have declined. We have just over 1200 employees who still need to complete the requirement. Um, if you don't include um, employees who are on leave of absence prior to returning from any leave, they would have to either decline or get the vaccination. Um, our next steps, the flu reports will go out to each site location. The deadline to have your flu vaccination is the 15th of November at noon. And the final reports will be generated on that day at one o'clock and notification to remove staff who are non-compliant will be sent out subsequently. Next slide, please. Um, and ending my report, and I apologize again, this is somewhat small, but um, Every Wednesday, I do a staff recognition um, as a part of the desktop chat that all staff are invited to participate in. Today, we had 278 staff on the line at noon for it. And at the end of each desktop chat, I recognize an individual or a group within the organization. And so today's recognition was for the Infusion Center team. And it really was about their perseverance um, through the pandemic through the increased volume that they're seeing, which is ahead of our budgetary figures, they just continue to excel and treat these people with kindness and compassion during what is likely one of the most difficult periods of their life. And so I wanted to raise them up to the trustees this evening and, and share their, their names with you. And um, I will continue to bring recognitions to the trustees as a part of my CEO reports in the future. Next slide, please. That's the end of my report, and I'm happy to take any comments or questions from trustees. Thank you for that report, Mr. Jackson. Trustees, I'll now open it up for any questions of our CEO. All right, with that, we'll keep uh, the agenda moving along. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. 
Certainly. We'll close out item B and we'll go to item C, the medical staff reports. Just to remind everybody, this is where we get to have direct engagement with our medical staff leaders. Uh, uh, I'd like to, open, we have three medical staff leaders uh, on the docket tonight. So I'm going to take kind of dealer's choice. I'm going to open up with Dr. Adris Afzali, who is from the San Leonardo Hospital Leadership Committee. Uh, Dr. Afzali is an emergency department physician. Uh, there at San Leonardo Hospital. Good evening, Dr. Zali. Uh, thank you, Chair Bouquet um, and uh, Board of Trustees. Thank you for having me. Uh, good evening. Uh, my condolences uh, on uh, um, uh, Ms. Paloma Chan, as well as uh, all the heartfelt uh, allergies we've heard this evening. Uh, surprising indeed. Uh, that's just down the street uh, from uh, my in-law's house, uh, literally less than two blocks. Um, moving on to my report, uh, the San Leandro Leadership Committee uh, met on November 2nd. Our next meeting will not be until uh, January 4th of next year. Um, there is uh, three items I wish to discuss uh, that were the main topic of discussion at the meeting. Uh, the biggest one being the ED arrival uh, and uh, registration renovation uh, that I've mentioned last two meetings. Uh, being worked on in two phases. I'm happy to report that phase one is complete. Uh, so we have a new EKG room in the in the ED uh, uh, for for our patients uh, in the main uh, arrival slash waiting area. Uh, and phase two is moving triage out to the to the waiting room and uh, bringing in uh, registration uh, to sort of do a team uh, approach, team arrival approach. Uh, we had a meeting about that today, actually, and uh, plans are still underway. There's there's still some uh, kinks to work out in regards to which dividers to get uh, and uh, how much room uh, we're going to need uh, for the three staff members, as well as uh, at least one patient to be situated back there, as well as all the equipment. Uh, but I'm hopeful that by um, early next year, January slash February, we'll have uh, we'll have uh, progress on that. Uh, getting an actual timeline has been a little bit more challenging, uh, though after hearing the reasoning for it, I'm more understanding of that. Uh, so hopefully next year I'll have more updates on that. I think it'll be a huge benefit to the patients arriving at San Leandro's emergency department, uh, both with their, with their movement through the department, the ease of movement through the department, as well as the timeliness. Uh, next item uh, up for discussion is uh, ISTAT testing at San Leandro ED, OR, and ICU uh, started yesterday with the first batch of tests occurring. Uh, and from all reports, those were uh, successful. Uh, there's another batch of testing uh, going through today and tomorrow. Uh, if all goes well, hopefully we'll have a go live date on that in December as well. Uh, and this will be for chemistry and lactate, specifically for the management of DKA and sepsis patients. Uh, the last item uh, that was uh, that actually took up a good time of our discussion was uh, uh, epic changes uh, in default expiration of antibiotics. Uh, hospitals raised concern about the automatic discontinu discontinuation within three days uh, since uh, our cultures uh, go to other sites. Um, but they've held off on escalating any further pending uh, uh, some uh, data and reports from uh, the go live, which happened early last month. 
Um, so we held off on, on taking any further action on that. Uh, outside of that, things are calm at San Leandro. Volumes are a bit more stable uh, as expected this time of year uh, after a high uh, over the summer. Uh, but we're expected to pick back up uh, shortly after uh, Thanksgiving and going into the holiday season. January will be our busiest month of the year uh, and historically has been without fail. So uh, we're bracing for that, uh, but looking forward to it. Uh, I will pause there if there's any questions. Uh, happy to answer. Thank you, Dr. Afzali. Trustees, um, questions of Dr. Afzali from San Leandro Hospital. So I'll go. <laughs> Dr. Afzali, uh, what would you characterize as kind of the most critical challenge from, from the medical staff uh, who are primarily based at San Leandro Hospital currently. What would you forecast as, as the most critical challenges? Uh, I think staffing continues to be uh, a challenge. Uh, the uh, nursing shortages and uh, sort of gaps in, in coverage uh, are uh, daily discussions uh, with, with the hospitalists. And I personally feel them in the emergency department uh, regularly. The, uh, sort of assigned staff and uh, approved FTEs uh, are, are better, but uh, uh, finding actual bodies to fill those positions is still quite challenging. Uh, we still have a, a good number of travelers uh, and temps that we rely upon. Um, you know, we serve a critical need, uh, but from a clinician's perspective, uh, we need uh, sort of stable long-term uh, providers and, and teammates who understand the process, who know the hospital, who are dedicated to the sites, uh, and understandably these days those those are those are quite hard to come by. Uh, I, I'd say of anything that's probably currently our, our top top concern, especially as we look towards higher higher volumes and busier times. Yeah. Uh, previously, I mentioned uh, subspecialty uh, backup and services, which. Uh, you know, has has stabilized. There's only so much we can ask for in that regard for San Leandro. Uh, there's uh, services that we simply can't support, uh, but neurology, gastroenterology has stabilized. I want to thank you specifically with uh, ERCPs and, and uh, that, that, that was previously one of our, our uh, hardest, uh, sort of toughest cases when, when we would come across as finding disposition for patients uh, that needed that specific uh, GI uh, intervention, uh, which is now addressed. Uh, so I think we're kind of uh, finding the, uh, the middle ground on that um, and sort of taking it one bridge at a time. Um, but uh, nursing staffing seems to be an ongoing uh, issue that's uh, very challenging to solve. Dr. Zolis, for clarification, when you say the staffing, we're, 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 you are referring to uh, 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 non-physician staffing. How is physician staffing at uh, uh, and, and physician and uh, advanced practice provider staffing at the hospital? Well, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I'll speak on the emergency department because that's uh, the experience I have. I, I don't have... Uh, much insight into into the, the hospitalist team. Uh, the surgery and um, orthopedic surgery has uh, has been challenging, continues to be challenging. Uh, I'm not sure I could I could speak for them. Um, 
but they are, uh, you know, in my opinion, they're they're quite quite stretched, and we try to do what we can in in, in accommodating them. Uh, emergency medicine for us, uh, you know, when, when we're hitting volumes of ninety to hundred a day, especially with the higher acuity that we're seeing, it's uh, um, it, it's sometimes concerning and. Uh, 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 you know, uh, I worry about uh, well-being and retention of some of the best talent that we've recruited in years, if not ever, at San Leandro. Um, and so going into January, uh, you know, I, I like seeing the higher volumes, the higher acuity. Uh, it's the direction that we wanted to go. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm working with uh, the chair of the ED uh, as well as EPMG and trying to get more staffing for the for the ED, especially during the, sw the swing shifts. Um, but I don't think I've hit a brick wall with that yet. Uh, however, I think it needs to be looked at. Otherwise, uh, you know, we, we stand to lose um, some very good providers, uh, clinicians. So I think what I heard, I just want to clarify, staffing is an issue, but you prioritize it amongst the nursing staffing but certainly it, this is this is still an issue amongst physician staffing and yeah, i think yeah I, I i agree uh you know i've been talking about higher volumes for for just a couple of months now before that we were at an all-time low there's been this sudden sudden surge that's that's happened over the past few months that's somewhat calmed down uh now you know our averages are in the 70s and 80s uh these days uh, in the ED, that that's going to jump up again. If January holds true as it has almost every year for as long as I've been working at San Leandro, uh, in January we're going to see the highest volumes, and you know probably for the last three years. Um, so when that happens, it, it's it's going to be tough, and we've already started the process in in getting additional support for the the hardest days and and the and the busiest times. Um, and I'm hopeful that we'll, we'll, we'll get somewhere with that. If we don't, we'll be talking about it again. You, you, you have the platform here, sir. <laughs> um, la last one, you know, it's me. So you always get weird stuff from me. Um, it, it is uh, the month of Thanksgiving. So as we come to our close, can you tell me something that you've been, you are thankful for uh, uh, in your capacity in this leadership position? Uh, I'm thankful to be able to make the impact that, or be, having been given the platform that I've been given, uh, I feel like I, I could have done more. But uh, you know, with your support, with James, uh, Mark, uh, Fratsky, I, I, you know, I am forever grateful that they've uh, sort of taken the, the helm. And there was uh, issues that I had been talking about for for quite some time, especially the ED monitors, uh, which. Uh, seemed to drag on forever, uh, and then uh, as soon as they took charge, it just kind of happened. Uh, so, uh, good leadership. I'm, I'm thankful for um, the, uh, the having this platform, having the the uh, opportunity to do this. Uh, I am thankful for. It's been a great learning experience for me. Uh, don't, I'm still learn, learning. I, I feel like I'm in the middle of that learning curve as as we're as we're going up um and a ways to go uh, but that, those would be the highlights okay appreciation for you dr Sali. thank you for your report thanks sir
Next, we'll go to Dr. Kathy Pyun. Uh, before Dr. Ka uh, Pyun comes on the screen, I, I want to say it's with sadness that, I, that this will be the last report that we'll be hearing from Dr. Pyun. Dr. Pyun uh, is a hospital, said Alameda Hospital, and she'll be stepping down from her position as chief of the medical staff there. Of course, she'll continue to practice, but in her capacity as chief of staff, uh, she uh, will be handing over the reins to Dr. Nikki Joshi. So, uh, Dr. Pyun, your last report to us in your capacity as Chief of Staff. So, uh, the floor is yours, Madam. Sure. Um, thank you very much for that. Uh, basically, you know, just to say, I'm just also great to say right, right away, I'm grateful for an opportunity, the opportunity to do this work. There was a lot uh, that happened this past year with COVID and certainly, um, I think it was the first time in my 25-year career, career I actually did up more than I could shoot. Personally, I, I have a young baby at home. It's been very difficult to balance, do a work-life balance for me. But I feel very confident that Dr. Joshi will, uh, is more than capable of uh, picking it up. And I'm actually not going away completely. I'm going to be her vice. We're sort of flipping chairs, and I'll be, I'll be assisting her. Uh, but I think that she'll be mostly doing all the heavy lifting. So, uh, But I could say that uh, just to give... There's been so much this year. I just to be grateful that the COVID pandemic happened. It uh, hopefully, I'm hoping that it doesn't rear its ugly head again. But we got through it, and we did an amazing job. I think the nurses, the physicians, people stepped up. They've done a ton. They picked up extra shifts without without even a question. And uh, you know, I think the COVID nursing home that we had was was great for disinfecting like the hospitals and stuff. It was and it was you know very actually very very well done. Um, there were so many other things that I could go into, but uh, this, this year the hiring of CAO to be there, Myro Harding, I, I finally got to meet him briefly, and uh, we were able to discuss um, what you know what uh, what challenges are, are Alameda is facing, and I'm there, you know there to support him in any way I can. I think that the biggest the biggest issue that every hospital probably in the United States of America is dealing with is the nursing shortage, and um, this is going to be very hard, and I think that it is impacting um, the ability to move patients from, let's say, the ED to the, to the inpatient and also surgery patients uh, and, and getting surgeries done, you know, in, in a timely manner. So uh, we're going to, we're, I, I would not be shocked to see more patients being moved back and forth between hospitals where staffing is. This is going to be very, uh, very challenging for him, and um, they're um, there to, um, you know, to be in support. In addition, uh, we welcomed a uh, VP of Quality, Ana Torres, which I who I spoke to today finally, and uh, that was really uh, very it was very nice to talk to her. And you know, there's going to be a lot of tons of uh, performance improvement project projects going on, and she'll have her uh, hand in all of those. And um, look forward to working with her. Um, just. Uh, We've, we've turned over so many services at our hospital this year. Cardiology last year, uh, we have cardiology during the week in patient, in, an in-person cardiologist during the week, but on weekends we have a telecardiologist, and that's uh, actually been okay. It's been pretty good. And uh, before that, we had almost no cardiology coverage on the weekend. That was difficult. We were able to, administration didn't talk, didn't listen to us, and was able to provide at least some telecardiology, some true consult service on the weekend. That's, that's been helpful. Um, we've had shortages of echo in the past, but that has been rectified, and we now have echo six days a week. 
So I have to, again, be thankful uh, the administration for correcting that. That was not easy. I think that there was also staffing issues getting an echo tech. Uh, we changed over infectious disease service, where we had a single physician on call 24-7, 365 days a year. Obviously, nearing retirement it was not really sustainable. So we had to move to Dr. McCabe's group, and that physician has still been retained uh, in, within the, the call system, and that's that's been fantastic. And they're writing wonderful, terrific consult notes from a telemedicine platform. Um, the gastroenterology program started maybe just week before the year, but again, I want to thank you, Dr. Duquette, your team of fantastic gastroenterologists. The level of cognitive assistance with our patients has gone way up. I think that you're not just scoping the patients, but you're actually giving us so much good, solid advice on how to manage all these very, very, very interesting and difficult cases. Uh, we're just so grateful. Again, uh, done a great job, uh, and it's, it's, it's made all the difference. I think that um, everything's just moved, uh, it's just been running smoothly that, in that category. Um, we have a new palliative care service, which is amazing. And I just don't know how we actually survive without it. They're just a fantastic team of, of clinicians, and they're so helpful. And uh, I think they're, they're going to actually help with our length of stay. They're going to actually help with um, possible like re, uh, patients coming back to the hospital. Uh, we have, we're surrounded by nursing homes. This is, I, they're not actually funded by our system. They're funded by a grant. I'm worried that they might go away next year, and I would just want to say that we absolutely need them. We need them, and we, we need to keep them on board um, any way we can. I think that this is not only good for patients, but also good for the bottom line. Um, the bridge program has been in place. I know you, we've already heard uh, some, some good uh, presentations on it, and actually, it's been so helpful. I work at multiple campuses, and my docs at Alameda, I've been imploring them to use them, and we can just they're very easy to, to consult, just kind of like email them through the Epic system, and they just pick up right away, and they just, you know, they just, they can help you with, with getting your patients uh, transitions to Suboxone and medications and get them into the clinics uh, in, a, in a fast manner. It's just, it, I, again, I, before Bridge, we had nothing. It's amazing how this is, this is such an incredible resource. Um, Teleneurology, Certainly, teleneurology uh, has had its ups and downs, but we're definitely getting better. I think that we're we're settling down, and we're, it's taken a while, but I think we're we're getting we're getting uh, high quality neurology consultation this way, and um, we have a, a little bit of backup at, at Highland as well for seizure patients. So it's been it's been reasonable, and uh, certainly a teleneurology program instead of a no neurology program. So we're grateful for that. Um, we have a new, a brand new intensivist program, and we have, we, before we had Dr. Lowry and Dr. George, who were terrific, but we, they're getting closer to, you know, the end of their careers, they're getting older, and so we have this bright new young group of intensivists coming through our, our ICU, and they're just been fantastic, and all the um, hospitalists are raving about them, and they're really happy with uh, the level of service, the responsiveness, uh, the level of skill, they're just, you know, and they're also really good at putting lines and, and all the technical stuff as well. So we're, we're thrilled. We're, we've been actually really happy with that. So we're also great. I want to just thank the administration for that, doing that as well. Um, uh, there's been also improvements 
in our HCAP scores for physicians, nurses, whatnot. So that's that's been happening over the last year. I've been imploring my physicians, our hospitalists, to call patients every day, especially during that surge when families couldn't come in and see patients. We just were calling them every day and telling them what, what was going on with their loved ones. And you know, I think that that might have that might be part of the reason for the bumping, but. So that the habit of calling families and talking to patients every day, and you know, trying to you know explain them what's going on with them, and and giving a good discharge plan. That that's 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 a habit that needs to continue on, and we need. And uh, I think that's that helps our HCAP scores quite a bit, and uh, it's also good for quality of care. Uh, so that's good there. Um, We've been working on an ED to inpatient throughput, where the, the patients sitting in the ED, ED, we don't want them sitting there forever. We want them coming upstairs as soon as possible. I, and the ED uh, leadership, Dr. Joshi and I, have talked a lot of, about this, ton about this. And you know, we've put in various uh, mechanisms so there is no, you know, major backup uh, from the physician standpoint, from the provider standpoint, uh, who are doing the work. Um, I can't speak for nursing or, or you know, the transport people or anything like that, but I can tell you that we're doing everything we can from a physician standpoint to make it uh, smooth and easy to move patients upstairs uh, by providing something called bridge orders ER physician can place for us. Um, jo Dr. Joshi wanted to mention that the Patient Experience Council with Veronica Shelton and her are working on, on helping improve the patient experience, and uh, that's been going well. The sepsis program has done very has done well with good gains, less fallouts. Um, we've had a lot of antibiotic stewardship policies and procedures placed, which, uh, you know, I, from Dr. Osala was saying, like, you know, there's some quick stop gaps with patient the medication stop after three days. But quite frankly, we're probably giving antibiotics too long in most cases, and we're often in the old days before Epic, you know, IV antibiotics would just go on and on for days and days and would have no stop date. And this is kind of, I think it's actually been excellent. It's, I think it, it really makes people pay attention and not give a, a very powerful antibiotics inappropriately for long, long periods. Um, the e-consult issue where we're trying to be able to have some access, uh, the physician to have access to giving getting patient, their patients into the subspecialty clinics is still a work in progress, but and I have a meeting on November 18th to, to uh, discuss that with the chief of uh, EPIC, our, our CIO, uh, Dave English, um, and others. Of note, Dr. Uh, uh, DiStefano uh, from surgery did want to say that there is a huge backlog of elective surgeries that need to be done. And guess what? COVID actually put off a lot of elective surgeries. So we really would love to do those surgeries. But guess what? We have a nursing shortage, so it's tough to find uh, enough nurses to, you know, get those surgeries in place. So get those done. We would love to get them done next year. Um, many of the ortho, ophthalmology, GYN, and neurology will be probably done at Alameda. Not all. It's going to go all through campuses, but they're going to have some subspecialties go to our campus more. So, um, but that's just uh, exciting news, and I think that again. Um, you know, there's, it required quite a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of organization and epic type of uh, build-outs for these kinds of things to happen. Um, I know this is a lot of stuff I could talk about, but I just wanted to say that, you know, I am grateful there has been some, a lot of new, new things and a lot of good things that have happened this year. Um, I wanted to highlight a few areas where we can still improve, which includes transfers. I've been talking about that pretty much every month this year. 
lately though we haven't had any major snafus and this is something that we have to constantly work on because it's very hard it's a very hard thing to do well um i am i'm glad we have a new cao in place that can possibly assist with these administrative um uh administrative very challenging situations um there's always seems to be lack of beds to highlands so at least there must you know there has to be uh, something in place that we can, you know, possibly move patients around and, and such. But that's going to be something we need to keep an eye on and make sure that uh, we can always get uh, our patients in transferred quickly, if need be, in an emergency. Um, I want to mention the MRI availability. I have not heard as many complaints lately, I, but the reality is that there's only one MRI for two hospitals. And this one MRI is accommodating at San Leandro's, Alameda, and outpatient and so sometimes our you know Alameda patients you know we we have to wait we don't uh you know that can increase length of stay and, and decrease patient satisfaction so there has been actually a potential plan to in place but this has not been implemented based on uh, lack of mri tests so uh there's also talk about a stat mri protocol in stroke but that again has not yet been implemented because we need to have a special monitor for the mri that can go in the MRI, I guess, a special type of cardiac monitor. So there's uh, some things we'd like. I'd love to see more uh, more open MRI availability. We've already talked a lot about nursing shortages. That's something that is going to be the hardest thing, I think. I don't really know. I, I don't, you know, um, I'm not quite sure how to fix that problem because that is something that is very big. Um, and uh, coming in the next year or so, the Physician Professionalism Committee will be a unified committee among all three campuses and, and uh this is an opportunity for us to you know make sure that uh, our physicians are acting professionally and uh or, or at least you know monitor that so i think that that, that has not really started yet but that's something that uh, i think that would be very important uh as we as, as we all know um there's also an ethics committee in the planning stages as we have not had an ethics committee for more than several years and i think that that is something that's sorely needed at our campus. Uh, also, uh, and uh, you know, it's just it's just going to be constantly challenging. How do we improve care? How do we improve length of stay? How do we increase uh, patient satisfaction? You know, we have to do this by, I guess, you know, preserving our resources. We have to increase our services if, if possible where we can. I, I don't know, but it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, we go forward. But I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking forward to assisting. Dr. Joshi and others um, in this journey. Thank you. Thank you for that report, Dr. Kuhn. That was broad ranging and uh, yes. I feel it makes me wonder if Mr. Jackson, Mr. Fratsky or Dr. Tornabene paid you to endorse, but uh, that was a lot of positive. We'll, 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 we, I, I, the board likes to hear uh, good and not so good. So appreciation to you and thank you for your service. I'm going to open this up to Trustee Jensen with the hand wave. Trustee Jensen. Um, thank you, Dr. Chair. I do want to um, thank Dr. Pune, of course. And um, Dr. Pune, uh, starting with the MRI, I think a lot of these things that you highlight are, you, you got to take a little credit here, Dr. Pune. The, the, the MRI, you haven't heard complaints. It's a lot of these things I think are because of the hard work that you've put in over the past year or two. I mean, you basically, 
have been advocating for for many of these things that I've I've heard about the um the, the struggles with transitions starting um, when you came on board the struggles with transitions both um, internally from the ED to the floor and from the floors um, especially during off hours to Highland for for um, very acute for patients that needed specialties that weren't available at Alameda Hospital and those things have been they're not resolved of course but they're 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 better than they were. Um, when, when you started, you know, the things like um, specialty care, for example, the, um, the, the transitions, the, the palliative care, I, I know that's great. I'm not sure. I, I uh, You probably had something to do with it because you're, you're such a rock star, but uh, I just want to say thank you. <laughs> you um, you've shared everything you've shared with the board at your meetings. I, no doubt we're I'm not clinicians, so I have no doubt that you've shared much, much more with um with the, the clinical leaders and with the operational leaders, and, and that's really had a, a lead on change. So I appreciate it, and I think that Alameda Hospital has, has I can see that Alameda Hospital has had a, a tremendous benefit from your leadership. And um, you will be, I'm glad you'll still be there, but you will be missed in your leadership role. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Trustee, Trustee Banerjee. I'll, I'll add to that, uh, Dr. Pion, just uh, being uh, for us as trustees to have elevated the medical staff report to the full board rather than at uh, restricting it to the quality QPSC, which we absolutely love, uh, but being ha having them the, these discussions be here was with the specific uh, idea to like bring this to everybody's notice and to really and just the way Dr. Absali, Dr. Pune, you've been like target, persistent, and also like really candid. That's so helpful. Um, I think of, um, you know, medical staff. I think of Dr. Bullard. Uh, so many others who've come here and spoken truth to power. And I hope that moving forward, no matter when you have the mic, uh, that tell us the uh, tell us the truth because you know we need to we need to hear that without fear of retribution of that, that fear of this is this is the space where uh, we want to lean in and here we might not be able to always reply or but know that it's it's here and it's being you know followed up with in uh, through many different channels so again um your leadership has been exemplary. Thank you for being such a strong voice. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Pyun, thank you very much for, for that. And we'll, 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 of course, be continuing to see you, of course, uh, in different capacities. With that, we'll close out with Dr. Pyun, and we'll go to Dr. Lily Indelkar. Dr. Indelkar is a hospitalist here uh, who's based at Highland, and uh, she's the secretary treasurer of the MEC. Uh, so we welcome her giving the report on behalf of the HS medical staff. Dr. Indokar, welcome. The mic is yours. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Trustee Bouquet. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, Dr. Besh, unfortunately, is not able to attend today. He's uh, currently teaching this fancy ultrasound course in Chicago. Uh, mm. But thank you for giving me the opportunity to give this report. Um, just to start off with, I just wanted to point out that the credential and privileges report was given at QPSC on October 27th, and this is actually included in the packet. Um, if no questions about that, I just wanted to continue proceeding to my points of discussion. All right. 
Well, uh, first off, I wanted to thank Mr. Jackson for stressing the importance for just culture in our system. Um, as we all know, just culture is a concept that requires organizational commitment. And as a part of that commitment, education is important. Uh, therefore, the Interdepartmental Professional Practice Committee, also known as IPPC, is organizing a CME activity for this MEC members on just culture and multidisciplinary peer review, which is going to be conducted by Dr. Donald David on the 29th of November, which we're all looking forward to hearing. Um, secondly, I wanted to bring up staffing shortages. It seems to be a theme, and I know this is not unique to our system. But what I wanted to draw your attention to were two areas that have been brought up by the MEC members, and these are our nursing educators and our administrative support. Um, just to elaborate further, you know, our nursing educators are really integral in us being able to provide quality care for our patients. Just to kind of enumerate the scope of what they do, they really help with onboarding of our new or traveling nurses. And God knows we've seen a lot of influx of this. Uh, they help us with being compatible and compliant with our policies and procedures. They help us conducting our annual competencies. Um, but more importantly, they would walk around our units, identify areas of improvement, and really provide that real-time education for our nurses. And this really enhanced the quality that of care our patients were ultimately getting. Um, I completely want to acknowledge all the staff that have stepped up to provide these services while a more permanent and sustainable solution is sought. And I completely acknowledge uh, Mr. Fratsky and Teresa Cooper, who have worked tirelessly on this. They've both been very open and communicative with the MEC through this entire process, which we truly appreciate. Um, I've also been told that we may have a new CNO starting at the end of this month or later this year, which we're all excited about. Um, my only humble request is that standing up of this nursing education department be a high priority item on their list. Um, as for the administrative support, you know, these special group of people really bring together all the meetings that we put together. They put together our packets, they help with our interview season as new trainees come to view our programs and so much more. And I think all of us would much appreciate a warm handoff when some of these individuals retire or take on new positions in our organization so that we can continue to kind of be more effective in our meetings. Um, I think the third thing that I wanted to bring up, and it's not really a concern, but rather a question, is that we've heard the term dyadic structure on multiple occasions now. And what I think we're looking for clarity around is what this actually means for us and what this actually means for our system. And, you know, Mr. Fratsky gave this stellar presentation at the board retreat where he very clearly delineated the administrative organizational structure. And if as a system, we truly want to imbibe collaborative leadership, then it would be helpful for us physicians to know what the other side of the chart would look like. Um, and, you know, really talking about collaborative leadership, this really ties into the departmental reports that we had, both uh, by Dr. Smith for obstetrics and gynecology and Dr. Stefano for orthopedics. Um, you know, in your packets, they've been able to kind of chart out everything that their departments have been doing. I mean, quite honestly, the amount of work that they've put in cannot be pictured out on just one slide. Uh, but just to highlight a few things, uh, in the obstetrics and gynecology department, 
you know, they've been working on a project for two years, which is the perinatal ultrasounds. And this really benefits our high-risk OB patients where they're actually able to get a comprehensive sonographic assessment here at Highland. Um, this is a perfect example of collaborative leadership where Dr. Smith and his department had the amazing idea and identified a gap around perinatal ultrasound and collaborated with Mr. Fratsky, who helped kind of bring all of this to fruition. The other things I wanted to point out in their department is that they'll be starting the gynecology urgent care clinic that's going live next week. I mean, this really creates a special place for our patients to receive this kind of care. And I also wanted to highlight uh, Dr. Rebecca Falik's work on establishing eSpace First Endometriosis and Pelvic Pain Center. It not only addresses a disparity gap that exists, but it really does provide comprehensive care for our patients. So really amazing work. And then on the orthopedics front, I mean, they've bounced back remarkably from all the setbacks that they really had during COVID. And, you know, I know we keep hearing about the backlog of patients that have yet to have surgery, but I think, you know, focusing on everything that they've already done so far is very important. Um, You know, it's along again with administrative support that they've been able to get capital investment for equipment and to continue to do all the amazing work that they've been doing. Um, But uh, nothing more else to report on my end at this time. Um, I just wanted to end this report. And Taft, I feel like you kind of stole my line over here. But um, I wanted to just, this is November, so I wanted to be thankful and grateful for what we have. So I actually wanted to share with you all some words that I found very inspiring this year. And this is words by the great Martin Luther King Jr. And it goes, life begins to end the day we become silent over the things that matter. So having said that, this medical staff thanks the Board of Trustees for giving us a platform to speak up about the things that matter to us. This medical staff also thanks our executive leadership who have left their doors open for us to have continued discussion on issues and items that matter to us. And I really hope in the loving memory of Supervisor Wilma Chan that we all continue to advocate for the patients who don't have that privilege of voice and we continue to be champions of their health. Thank you. Um, I welcome any questions at this time. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Indokar? Thank you, Dr. Indokar. That was a nice first presentation to the board, Dr. Indokar. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Trustees, any other questions of our physician leaders? In appreciation of Dr. Indelkar, Dr. Pyun, and Dr. Abzali, I'm going to close out item C, our medical staff reports. Thank you, leaders, uh, for that. With that, we'll go to item D, the committee and trustee reports. Uh, begging everyone's indulgence, it would be great if we could kind of rip through this piece of uh, the part to gain some time back. Item D1 is the Human Resources Committee. There's a typo there. It says uh, Trustee Alan Fox, committee chair. Trustee Fox is not the committee chair of the Human Resources He's the chair of the audit compliance. Unfortunately, our chair, Dr. Uh, Trustee Louisa Blue, is not present this evening. And uh, so I'm going to hold this report to January, Madam Clerk, if we can add that on back to January, if that's okay. Uh, let's move to item D2, then. That's the QPSC report. I'm the QPSC chair. Uh, in brief, we did our standard work of approving policies and procedures and medical staff credentialing. 
We heard from our medical staff leaders as we did this evening, and we heard from our quality team on key metrics we've identified in the system. Our two articles we discuss, which are always in our packet, include Don Berwick's seven roadblocks to improving patient safety. And then we also reviewed the 2021 National Patient Safety Data Goals. I think one of the highlights of the evening was, uh, which is I think the new highlight of QPSC, is, is the quality improvement uh, projects. And we heard from the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, specifically on their beloved birth program, an important, uh, if you will, essential QI program that seeks to reduce disparities in clinical outcomes for black mothers. Um, a really remarkable program. I think that this organization will be hearing more about this program as continued uh, celebration and kudos comes to them in the form of grants and, and the like, uh, because uh, I don't think this program is going anywhere but up. So um, that was a, a, a great report that we have. That was sort of it for QPSC. Um, any questions on the QPSC from October 27th? Great, I'll close that item, D2. Let's go to item D3. I, I now defer to our uh, Madam Chair, uh, Trustee Esteem of the Finance Committee from November 3rd, 2021. Madam Chair. Thank you so much, Dr. Chair. So on uh, the Finance Committee, we heard our usual uh, delights about um, being over budget in some areas and under budget in others. Um, some discussion about registry expenses and registry staffing. You know, I think the theme that we've heard this evening is that nurses need education and there is a shortage. Um, I don't think this is new news. We also had a really excellent report about our psychiatric care, John George uh, Pavilion, and some of the highlights of that, John George has uh, had fewer assaults than the national average. Um, we have uh, employee recognitions, some of which you heard this evening from our CEO, but in John George specifically, they're gonna adopt a new program of employee recognitions. Um, the IOP program is alive and well, and fully being resuscitated um, at both campuses, Highland and Fairmont. Um, and it sounds like billing, because of our new manager, uh, whose name is Michael McLeitis. He's actually the interim director of patient accounting. Uh, his presentation was remarkable uh, in discussion about billing improvements and ways to really streamline things. Um, it, for IOP, for example, uh, there was only one third of effective billing taking place. So two thirds of revenue being lost. Um, that's gonna be improved uh, right after he finishes the John George revenue cycle changes and uh, it was just so much it's hard to really capture it all briefly um, another highlight the billing was not always accurate for john george because it was paper-based and epic wasn't able to interface with the county billing system which is called insist um, we were two and a half years behind at one point three to five million dollars in delayed annual billing and they've already caught up on fiscal year 19 and 20 and the goal that they have set, which I imagine they will achieve, is to get within 60 days of billing, which would be remarkable compared to two and a half years. Um, there were other presentations that related to our medical staffing. Um, again, so much in there. Um, a lot to try to keep brief. 
but I think we may hear more about that in a potential special meeting of the board in December. Uh, so I will not say too much about that. Um, we had a few budget uh, contracts rather that we talked about and they've all been moved. We will hear them in a few minutes as we go into the contract approval. And that is it for my report. That's You're on mute, That's a thoughtful report, Madam Chair, as always. Trustees, any questions of uh, our finance chair? All right, with that, we, uh, we are moving along. Um, that's item D3. Item D4 is, a, is, a, is an interesting one. It's entitled the Government Governance Institute October Conference Update. No uh, public that, that uh, many of our trustees, um, uh, we, we encourage our trustees uh, to uh, continue in board development. One of our trustees took advantage of, of, of this opportunity to educate us and went off to a learning session. So we just ask our trustees when they go away for learnings to bring them back to us briefly. Trustee Friedman, sir, can you tell us about your experience with gov the Governance Institute? Yes, and I, I heard that last word briefly because I know we've <laughs> got a lot to do tonight in a long closed session. Uh, it was a really great experience and there were about 150 people there, much less than in prior years because of the pandemic, but they were very careful in requiring vaccination and wearing masks and the seats were all about 10 feet apart actually. So I'll just hit a few of the highlights. The workshops and keynotes included our uh, local expert, Dr. Uh, Bob Wachter from UCSF and our former CEO, Wright Lassiter, who's now at the uh, CEO at the Henry Ford Health System in Michigan and Kevin Barnett, another local who's at the Public Health Institute. Major points of emphasis throughout included the changing healthcare environment with a concentration on the pandemic-related financial and operational challenges. Uh, several presentations were on the need to evolve into a value-based care model as opposed to fees for services. Equity and social determinants of health were also an important theme woven throughout. Um, several speakers said that uh, looking at the pandemic and the impact on healthcare and hospitals, the message is that we can't go back to the way we did things before the pandemic, that we really have to use this challenge as an opportunity to grow and evolve and take advantage of what we've learned during the pandemic, including the shift to telemedicine, um, the ongoing trends away from providing care in hospitals to providing care in the community. Um, also, uh, Dr. Wachter, you know, it wasn't an optimistic look at the pandemic and he's, you know, international expert he said that we thought we were gonna be able to get this illusionary herd immunity, but the Delta variant just blew completely through that until we get to 85, 90% vaccination rate, we're not gonna come close to that concept. And only a few places, Marin County, parts of San Francisco are getting that high of a vaccination rate. So until we overcome some of the strong pockets of resistance to vaccination, it's gonna to be tough to put it in the rear view mirror. Um, 
there is a lot more, including some I shared during the retreat about suggestions. The um, workshop I referenced is called Equipping Your Board for Perpetual Turbulence. And I think uh, many of us can relate to that title. Um, just the last thing I want to say is a very good presentation that talked about big changes in healthcare supply and demand and highlighted six um, elements, consumerism, health disparities, demographics, new competitors, including tech companies getting into and for-profit companies getting into the healthcare uh, consolidation, which has been going on for a while, and hospital decanting, which is taking services uh, more in the community and out of the centralized hospital setting. So those are among the things I learned, and I really thank uh, AHS for giving me the opportunity to go there and learn. Trustee Friedman, thank you for that tight report. And uh, I guess my commentary on this issue is board development is essential to the success of this organization. So knowing these things are important. So thank you for taking your time. Thank you to our public for helping uh, support our trustees in the, in, in the form of our, our, our support for those committees. So trustees, you uh, let's follow the model of, of our, our trustees who are going and self-educating themselves. So appreciations, Trustee Friedman. Trustees, any other comments on Trustee Friedman's report? Barring none, we'll close out item D and we will go into item E. This is a big consent agenda team. Um, uh, there are five items, echo one through echo five. Echo five actually has one, two, three, four, five uh, uh, contracts for approval. Before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of this consent agenda item, a uh, consent agenda E1 through E5, are there any items that need to be removed for discussion from a trustee perspective? No, not removed as a typo um, that needs to be corrected. Uh, Madam, uh, Trustee Banerjee, can you advise on that typo? Uh, I think it was the, I, I don't have the page in front of me, but it okay. was the uh, meeting minutes for the, um, for the uh, retreat. And it said Wednesday, October 29th. It just has to be changed to Friday, October 29th. That's it. Well, what a tight eye you had uh, catching that. So, uh, uh, Trustee Banerjee, uh, given that and seeing no other objections, could would, would you make a motion which will include that amendment to the uh, to the minutes? I I move that we approve um, the consent agenda with the uh, correction of the day on the uh, meeting minutes for the board retreat. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Can I take a second on that? I'll second, second that. that. Uh, Trustee Splendorio, I think Trustee Friedman beat you, so he gets he gets that one just by a hair. Um, Madam Clerk, can we roll call it? Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Thank you, trustees. That was a big consent agenda. Uh, so uh, we uh, now have uh, moved past E. We'll go to item F and uh, and our marquee presentation tonight relates to something we've been discussing for the past 10 months, which is 
how the essentiality of our job, which is to move towards strategic planning. We've been we've been in fire uh, fireman mode for the past ten months, and now I, it feels like a lot of the fires are 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 quelling, and it's time to now do the forward look that uh, that we've been talking about. So with that, uh, recall that at the uh, last board retreat, we introduced our newest partners, Hero uh, Consulting, who already has an engagement here. I, I will let our CEO give the lead in for this, again, continued discussion, which we are gonna be having on a fixed format here uh, on our one of our most essential uh, items of strategic planning. Mr. Jackson, sir. Thank you very much, Dr. Chair. And um, acknowledging your earlier notation about being brief, I will adhere. I would simply say that it was a great pleasure to have our partners from Huron and InnoSight join us at the retreat recently to talk comprehensively about the strategic planning process that we are embarking on that they will help lead us through. Um, I have asked them to return this evening for a briefer period. We have 30 minutes allocated and I've asked Leslie Grimmer, who is leading the project to talk about strategic planning, but specifically to touch on issues pertaining to diversity and inclusion, which has come up um, a couple of times this evening. And so I really thought it would be beneficial to hear their thoughts on how we will make sure that that is integral to this planning process. So um, Ms. Grimmer, the floor is yours. Ms. Grimmer, welcome. Uh, 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 you're on mute. And um, uh, if you'll please leave a little bit of room for uh, the uh, trustees to have some dialogue. 30 minutes have been allocated to take the right uh, to 7.30. So welcome. Thank you. So good evening um, all. It's uh, great to be here again and uh, we look forward to talking a little bit more about um, our approach and our timing for the refresh of your strategic plan. And um, as um, President Bouquet just said, we are looking forward to an interactive conversation with you. So please, um, we will certainly save time at the end, but if there are questions that come up along the way, do not hesitate to um, interject and um, ask. We'll um, pause and uh, look forward to an interactive dialogue. So I, um, again, am Leslie Grimmer. I've spent my entire career working with health systems in uh, large transformation efforts. As I have mentioned before, I am, um, based in Michigan, not too far from the Henry Ford Health System that was just mentioned earlier. I'm an engineer by training, and um, I serve on uh, the board of trustees of one of our community hospitals um, in the Detroit area. So in addition to um, living heavily on the operations side, um, also have a governance role um, here in my community. Uh, with me also tonight is my... Um, our slide projector, Martin McKittrick, who is our day-to-day -day strategy leader for the engagement. Um, other team members that are uh, not present today, but who you will uh, likely see on and off through the process is Andy Waldeck and Casey Loder, who are our strategy leaders from our InnoSight business unit, Angelica Richardson, our project management lead, and Quentin Smith and Emily Graff, who are responsible for supporting our uh, modeling and analytics. So a little bit more about Huron. Uh, we're a global firm and healthcare is our largest business segment. We offer comprehensive services as you see across those icons, strategy, care transformation, financial and operational excellence, technology and leadership. Really we find those to be the, um, the key levers for um, healthy, well-run um, healthcare systems. Uh, we are proud to have consistently received 
a perfect score of 100 on the Corporate Equity Index from the Human Rights Campaign Foundation. Uh, our Innosight um, is our strategy and innovation practice at Huron, as I had uh, just men- mentioned. Innosight was founded by Clayton Christensen, the Harvest- Harvard, sorry, I'm speaking so fast trying to get you caught up. The uh, Harvard Business School professor whose research um, around uh, disruption and disruptive innovation helped to explain why uh, successful organizations have a hard time changing and evolving. Um, Innosight's main uh, purpose of existence is to help these uh, help organizations such as Alameda um, navigate disruption um, and, and to really own their future which is um, one of our uh, key mission statements as well. They um, spend a, a, a great deal of time in healthcare, but they're also um, across many industries and again, globally. So uh, one of the reasons why um, we're so excited um, for this project is that, you know, we, we, are, uh, we know Alameda well, we're, we're um, heavily invested in, in your future. We, we have a, a, a team that's, that's working with you and, and we're really excited about continuing to support you on your, your journey. Um, this is a list of a number of the projects that we've um, been on with you, but what I will say is um, Mr. Jackson just mentioned, um, you know, we respect your mission to heal and teach all. Um, we, we feel we're well equipped to support this element within your strategic plan, you know, the, you know, highlighting the all uh, from a, a diversity and inclusion perspective. Um, we're certainly cautious about not uh, coming to the table with a preconceived conclusion about what your strategy strategy should be, you know, in the end, but it's clear that diversity and inclusion needs um, to be a part of that either, um, you know, as a standalone specific pillar or certainly woven throughout all of the strategy elements. Um, so we're, um, you know, we're, we're um, cognizant of that mission. We live that mission as well. Um, we've received a national grant from Johnson & Johnson to advance health equity nationally and are excited about our work partnering with J&J. Um, our, generally, inclusion is in our DNA. Um, we teach it. Um, it, it's a big focus of our practice. We're here on our, on a journey of our own, and I'm proud personally, um, of my role in that journey. I'm a trainer on unconscious bias, um, for the firm. And I am also an active member of our leadership sponsorship, um, and advocacy program. I have a, um, uh, what we call a protege, um, who is a young, um, female leader within our, um, in our practice and, and, and my job is, is to keep advocating for her and um, elevating her um, across our organization. And I'm, I'm excited to be partnering with her on her career journey. So a little bit more about um, our understanding of uh, what Alameda Health System is seeking across the development of your three to five year strategic plan. So um, really, you know, just checking to make sure the mission, vision and your, your pillars are, um, are appropriate and really looking at those pillars and, and thinking about what um, are the right strategies to take you um, into the future. So um, where your goal is to enhance the inlo- your alignment between board leadership, physicians and staff and um, that, inclus- that um, inclusion 
um, broadly speaking, is it will be in the forefront of our approach, um, really gaining feedback and continuing to circle around with these constituents to make sure that the strategy is um, going to chart the course um, for you know the right course for the future. So we will, uh, I know you worked in analyzing and prioritizing market opportunities um, and uh, really equip you for outcomes that would include, um, again, cultural and operational excellence, high reliability, financial stability, and growth and retention of your key patient volumes. I'm gonna pause there um, and ask if there's anything else that you feel like should be on that list. Trustees, time to open up. Ms. Grimmer's given us an opening to give commentary and guidance to her team to make good work for us. All right, Ms. Grimmer. I, you know, I have a oh, question. Oh, great. I, sorry, I see hands. Let's do, let's do, who was, I think that was Trustee Esteen, and then we'll do Trustee Fox. Thanks. Um, I appreciate all of these pillars, the three to five year plan and what you've outlined. Um, clinical, cultural and operational excellence, I think is the area that I want to discuss specifically regarding uh, staff recruitment and retention. And I, I am sorry that our HR chair is not here tonight, Louisa Blue, but we've heard a lot about nursing shortages, um, not in this meeting, but in previous meetings about the cost of registry, how that has shifted during uh, this last, I guess, Delta surge of COVID, where registry actually costs more now than full-time permanent staff with benefits. Um, yet we still need to make sure we bring in nurses as well as nurse educators. Um, and for our medical staff, that there's some questions around compensation and satisfaction and retention. And I really want to make sure that we address that specifically, um, that we don't just use clinical, cultural, and operational excellence, but like, you know, how do we drill down into that? And, and perhaps position yourselves for the workforce of the future? The workforce of the future, something that includes COVID as a long-term consideration. You know, typically we have not budgeted with COVID in mind. We have budgeted <clears throat> using uh, history mm -hmm. and, and I don't know that COVID is going anywhere. Um, we, you know, we are doing better, I think financially regarding returning to volumes, but COVID is here to stay. And, you know, we, we are a public hospital. There's nothing in here I think about working on legislation. Um, one thing that stands out to me is telehealth has become a huge focus. Video visits are 100% reimbursed. Phone visits are 65% reimbursed. And I don't know that the state is gonna change that without us asking for it. But, and I don't know that a phone visit and a, and a video visit are equal, but they certainly require a similar amount of time and staff resources. So I, you know, these are the kind of considerations that I would love to see us making. And AHS does partner with um, agencies within the state that do lobbying on our behalf. And I think that has to be considered as we figure out how we negotiate with our, our host agency, which is the county, 
and ultimately the state. Thank you, Trustee Seen. Those were great comments. Um, and I know uh, Ms. Grimmer's team has taken notes on this stuff. I will do Trustee Fox, then Banerjee, then Jensen. And apologies if I don't see hands because we're in small mode. Fox, Banerjee, then Jensen. Um, I, I think one of our key bullets needs to be uh, developing a strategy for uh, how we recruit, retain, and satisfy physicians uh, on our medical staff, um, not just enhancing our alignment with them uh, along with the board, the leadership, the staff, and so forth, but really calling out the fact that our success as a as an organization and as a as a health system really is going to depend on having uh, a cadre of physicians who are long who have long tenure with us uh, have high loyalty are are allowed to be creative and are part of a compensation and contracting uh, uh, regime that makes all that happen and I, i'd say if we only had three or four bullets on this page that has to be one of them and i think if you were to look at kaiser strategic plan or sutter's or uh Intermountain or, or any major hospital system, you'd find that to be one of their key pillars, let's say. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Trustee Banerjee, then Trustee Jensen. Um, we, um, AHS is one of the only systems in the California public hospitals that has a governance structure like we do right now. And we are kind of in the midst of a governance restructure as well. So what, you know, our, our relationships with the county are very unique in that sense. And as an anchor institution where we've talked about, you know, repositioning, reimagining, but somewhere I think as a separate bullet, the kind of community system linkages that we need, county, community system. We work closely with one arm of the healthcare services agency of the county, but not so much with the county public health. Um, so how might we do those? We, are, we know that the county is doing a needs assessment, strength assessments that's happening. How might we, um, we don't, as, a, as an institution, we haven't done our community in our own time because we say that county does it, but then it's not a co-produced, co-constructed um, uh, process. And so how might we have better partnerships with key external stakeholders in this process as well so that we are doing a seamless continuum of care? So that would be my one thing. And my second thing would be kind of on the clinical, cultural, and operational excellence is like somewhere, how, what do we need to do to be uh, like an active learning organization where, uh, you know, reflection, collective learning, and sense-making, not uh, um, and like cross-pollination between the various elements of our system to see that if there are bright spots here and bright spots there, how are we kind of, you know, bringing those in a very... In, organizing and internalizing those as a learning organization. Um, I'd love to see that. I know that the nurse education is a very, very critical part, but generally learning and sense-making together, um, I think would be something that. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustee Jensen. 
sorry, hand was up and then it went down. Is it, uh, Trustee Jensen, would, there we go. Yes, um, no, I, to, I, I was actually the same as Trustee Banerjee's comments. Um, I think when we, at our retreat, we, we did have a robust conversation about um, the partnerships with um, our unique partnerships with the county and with other stakeholders, including Alameda Healthcare District and um, community stakeholders. Uh, and especially our unique position stakeholders. So I would um, definitely think that we would have to include um, uh, those things, those types of um, uh, partnerships in our strategic plan. It's, it's, it's something that we can't ignore here. Yes, ma'am. I think at our retreat, so if everyone's looking at bullet two, enhance alignment between the board, leadership, physicians, and staff, I think it was Trustee Fox who that evening said, and essential stakeholders um, uh, might be a nice addition to that. And and uh, I would consider, I personally would consider Alameda Healthcare District an essential stakeholder, the soups essential stakeholders, probably Alameda Alliance and the like. I know this is broad reaching, but we're part of a system. It was actually you, according to the minutes. Um, <laughs> um, Dr. Chairs added it should include the county supervisors and administrator. I probably got last word after the idea from Trustee Fox said physician. Yeah. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Thank you for reading the minutes. So, um, uh, Ms. Grimmer, if you'll keep going. Thank you, trustees, for, for uh, chirping up. Great. Thank you. Um, Martin, you want to jump down to the next slide? So, our approach is really uh, bucketed into um, four primary groupings. The, um, the first, understanding the future environment. Um, we think of that really as an outside-in um, view of Alameda Health System, uh, thinking about uh, the market that's where you're, you serve, the growth in those markets uh, within um, age groups and service lines, really where um, is the area um, you know, growth or shrinkage for that matter. Where Where is the market going? Um, assessing trends um, locally um, and nationally, like where are things moving from um, inpatient to outpatient? What are uh, changes in reimbursement that can be expected? And just really painting the picture of, you know, where the environment is going. And then uh, thinking in phase two, defining future aspirations, through um, collaboration and input from numerous stakeholders, uh, will really def help define, or you will define, and, and um, we will facilitate uh, the defining of your view of the future. So again, your market position, your sources of differentiated differentiation, your role in the community. So you've got where is the market going, and then where do you want to be in that market um, as it gets there. In phase three, we really think of that as an inside out view. So, you know, where you, where are your strengths and opportunities? Uh, where are your, um, you know, where are you performing well? Uh, where are you um, and how are you positioned from a, a cost and a, um, and a revenue standpoint um, with your current operations? Um, and then we'll develop some strategic options um, that take where is the market going, where do you want to be, and where are your strengths and opportunities, and um, start to um, put forth a list of uh, strategic alternatives. 
Um, and then we'll further, and this is going to be really helpful with the um, the other part of the Huron team that's working on the best engagement, who um, really under is you know is, is deep and understands some of current capabilities. Uh, we'll identify those key gaps to get there. Then in phase four, aligning the organization for implementation, so developing the plan to get there, we'll have made some um, some choices in phase three around some of those strategic. Um, options, um, and then we'll start to uh, really hone in on uh, those uh, near and longer term roadmaps um, to get there. Uh, communication with uh, key stakeholders will be um, key throughout, but certainly in the end, we'll um, really want to make, um, you know, set the stage, make the case for change um, for that broad communication. All along this, and we'll talk a little bit about this in the um, in my last slide, are uh, key points of um, of uh, collaboration and inclusion of numerous stakeholders. So, you know, many of the groups that we've that we've already uh, discussed tonight. So, as a part of Martin, the next one as a. Yep, go ahead. Um, as a part of those um, collaborations, we will be asking a series of of uh, questions. So again, what does the future um, look like? Um, how does Alameda, um, how does your, is your ongoing diversity and equity and inclusion effort aligned um, with your strategic plan? Um, how are you positioned? What clinical service lines um, should be expanded? And frankly, which ones perhaps should be, um, should be consolidated or even exited? Um, and then uh, a, a final example, um, how how should you go about implementing uh, your new strategic plan? Throughout the process, we'll have input from a number of um, folks, again, who will help us really understand what some of those barriers to implementation will be, and we'll um, be weaving that into the implementation plan along the way. Ms. Grimmer, can you hold on this slide yes. right here? Because when you gave it in your initial presentation, I thought this is a very powerful slide because it's it, it, it goes to the heart. Uh, these are existential questions, if you will, for us. And, and I would submit that, that this should be kind of put throughout the organization uh, for people to consider. Now, not, we're not going to interview 5,400 people for this, but, but I'd say to our medical staff leaders, these are, these are very important questions. Uh, so, Mr. Jackson, could, can we put on our action list? Perhaps these set of questions can be broadcast to people to query in their respective groups. And I ask all of the trustees to, to chew on these questions in anticipation of your meeting with our Huron partners, because these are, I mean, they're, they're, they're very deep questions and there's a lot of, I don't know. And our job is to try to give direction. Um, yeah, so I, I really appreciate this slide, Ms. Grimmer. Thank you. Hmm. All righty. All right, Martin, next slide. So in, in this approach, we um, have three proposed leadership dialogues. So at a kickoff meeting, um, it will be critical to uh, gather a shared understanding of what leadership believes about the future of the market. So again, um, part of our job is, is going to be um, gathering all this input and then you know, really assimilating it into, a, into some kind of a, a digestible um, form and um, help you really make some of those um, those tough choices, or you know certainly select 
amongst um, the options that are um, really available for you. We'll use that upfront dialogue to align um, on the, those key decision criteria um, and come back with a hypothesis that, are, um, that we've created in that upfront discussion as we hold that second dialogue around designing the system of the future. That's where we'll really wrestle how best to meet those aspirations. Um, we'll, we'll use a, a robust data and analysis. Um, as you noticed on the introduction slide, we have um, you know, two folks that are really, um, as, as well as a number of our uh, data architects in the background, um, really uh, looking at a, um, a, a robust set of, of, um, of data to um, really help inform uh, what those, uh, where those strategic uh, options um, could be for you. Ms. Bernard, may, I ask, may I ask you a question on this slide? Yes, of course. Uh, with regard to the Board of Trustees, how do you envision the engagement with, with the Board of Trustees? Is this in groupings? Are they individual talks? So, sorry, this is a little bit of brass tacks kind of thing, because this is a lot of time. You're looking for economies of scale, yet I think all the trustees uh, should uh, be able to voice their individual voice. How, how, how would, what's your process for, for on specific line for trustees? We um, would prefer to do um, a handful of smaller meetings. Okay. Um, certainly not a you know a full meeting of of the board. I think it, it will will get individual um, points of view might get lost in in yeah. a in a discussion that big. Um, but you know, again, we've got an aggressive timescale, and uh, as I'll talk in my next slide, we've got holidays in the midst, and and I do worry about a coordinating of, of calendars and whatnot um, if we try to do everything single threaded in individual discussions. So if uh, you know if it works culturally um, for you and you feel that that's workable, smaller group meetings is how I would suggest we gather that input. Yes, ma'am. Well heard. Okay. All right, Martin, you want to jump to that timeline slide? So you'll see the, um, that orange silhouette is really um, those key points where we're planning on um, connecting um, with the, the board and then lots of other uh, touch points with individuals and, um, and multiple constituencies along the way. So we're thinking a four-month process. Again, we had... Um, you know, had thought three to four months, but where this falls in the, you know, in the holiday um, calendar, just really think that conservatively, uh, we should be allowing for four months because um, schedules are going to get tight in that, uh, that, you know, the late November and December, January time period. And then that OI and IO are, is the outside in and the inside out analysis that I was talking about earlier. So that's the that's the bulk of the content. Again, we we tried to, out of interest of time and, and giving you the highlights, we thought um, that really paints the broad um, picture of how we're going about um, our work. Um, we have already begun collecting um, those um, that key data, and we're beginning to as, um, assemble uh, the interview list. And we'll be working with um, Mr. Jackson uh, later this week to start considering how to get those um, scheduled and, and on the calendar within the next couple of weeks. So we're well on our way. Thank you, Ms. Grimmer. That was a very nice presentation. Trustees, I'm going to open it up.
Ms. Grimmer, I'm going to ask you a question about preparation because you know in real time sometimes people want to chew on things. So what would be what would be kind of your guidance for having people, you know, some of these again are existential questions that people need weeks to think about. Um, that list of questions, is that a good starter for you? How would you prep your 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 interviewees to give you the most that you need? I think um I know at the retreat, you all spent some time thinking about your pillars. Um, I think I would, um, you know, suggest that the board, uh, the trustees look back on your current strategic plan and those pillars and, and see if they, you know, they are still resonating where they need to be updating. We heard a lot of great feedback now The you know, it's a very different world than it was, you know, five years ago when you created that plan. So I think that is a, is a great launching point. Um, yeah. Um, but then also just, you know, thinking about um, just taking some time to reflect on where, you know, you want the organization to be in the future. Where do you see, um, you know, Alameda's place in the world five years from now? Okay, that's a, that's a great question. Trustees, any other questions? Ms. Grimmer, it just came to my... Uh... <laughs> I just came to understand. I forgot you're in Michigan, so I know it's ten thirty at your time. So, <laughs> so no worries. I just, I just realized you're, you're in Livonia, right? I am. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, for those who know, I'm a big Michigan fan. So, um, so thank you for staying up so late for us. I will try to be more mindful of that uh, for agenda planning, uh, considering the three-hour time difference next time. No worries. I'm happy to have the headspace to have spent the time with you. Okay, appreciation. Trustees, last last shot for the evening. And Ms. Grimmer and the Huron team. Thank you, Ms. Grimmer, for coming this evening. Thank you. Okay. All right, uh, team, with that, we'll close out item one. F2, it said 15 minutes, but we're going to do this in like three or four minutes. A couple of comments on the board calendar planning for 2021-2022. Number one item, no retreats are on this calendar. So, we, 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 get to, we have to somewhere along decide. We did two retreats this year. In the past, we did four. I actually don't know what the right space is, but there are no retreats set on this calendar. My thinking on this was we, want, we should try to align our retreats with this strategic work uh, uh, with Huron Consulting. I'll continue to um, uh, work with Mr. Jackson on best timing for a retreat, but given the calendar that Ms. Grimmer proposed, it's looking like a February or a March what might look nice. I will keep you all duly informed because I know everyone's trying to plan their calendar. And then, and then we'll have a little bit of room for our, uh, our second retreat of the year. Second item, August continues to be dark next year except for QPSC because we need to approve policies and procedures and credentialing. Next, the November QPSC for next year has been moved up one week to avoid the pre-Thanksgiving um, uh, uh, QPSC that I poorly planned on this year. So, so I'm going to give uh, the nod to our uh, clerk who said, uh, uh, Mr. Chair, wouldn't you like to make it better for everybody? So she helped make it better for everybody. So that's November of next year. And again, last point is December will continue to be dark for regularly scheduled meetings. The, the, we're going to continue our regular cycle of Wednesday night meetings. Week one is finance. Week two is full board. Week three is either audit compliance or HOR. 
and week four is QPSC. Uh, trustees, any comments on this uh, 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 board calendar? I think we melted brains here. Council, it's actually an action discussion item. Does this need to be acted upon since we don't have uh, board retreats on this? Can you advise? Uh, the the calendar uh, should be, it, it, it is the custom of this board in the past for the calendar to be actioned upon, but you don't have to action upon it in, in this meeting. It can okay. be at the annual meeting on January, in January. Okay, by then I think Mr. Jackson and I, and, and me polling the trustees um, uh, for uh, a, a best date for um, a board retreats, we'll probably have a little bit more time. So. Uh, uh, Madam Clerk, if we can boot this one to our January meeting, is council that's appropriate? Yes. Okay. Is that acceptable, trustees? Okay, so we'll hold off in on any voting on that. That'll close out item F2. We're going to make it. Item G is the staff reports. We give space to our staff. Uh, these are written. They're in your packet. Item G1 is the CFO reports from our September financials. Uh, m much of this board sits on the finance committee, so you've already seen those. Uh, our, our, our Madam Finance Chair gave us a nice summary. Are there any questions on item G1 for our CFO or our finance chair? All right, I don't see any. Now, item G2 is uh, uh, drafted by our Chief Operating Officer. It's entitled Mental Health Services. Mental health services is, 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 is a key strategic clinical service for us. This is a very, very, I'm a little bit sad that it sort of gets a little bit buried in staff reports because it's actually a very nice slide set, which gives us sort of a roadmap uh, for the direction we're going, which is for those of the, uh, of the public and the tri trustees from the prior board, feels very different from prior and I and, and in my personal view in a better way. So I, I just want to reference item G2, a mental health services um, kind of outline and preparation by our CEO. Keep it for your reference because mental health services are sort of essential to what we do here. And now I'll open it up to any questions uh, on, on, uh, on uh, our COO's uh, packet presentation. Okay, wearing you guys out already. Uh, yes, Matt, just yeah. energy. wonderful. I just add that if they wanted to get a really like looking at the, I mean, this really good uh, PowerPoint. Uh, and also, if you can go listen to the recording from the Finance Committee, that would be really good for those who were not there because that was an excellent presentation there it as was well. A, it was an excellent presentation. It felt a little different from before, didn't it, Trustee Banerjee? Okay. So with that, I'm going to close out item G. Now for the audience, if you're following the agenda, and I know everyone loves agendas, uh, where we have a closed session uh, uh, items that we're going to go into, and then we have one last open session item. We're going to close this meeting with an open session item. Audience, I'm estimating about... Apologies to you, but we have some closed session discussing to do. I'm estimating around 45 minutes before we come to the last item of the evening. If you're here, that's great. If you're not, you can you can hear the minutes on this or, or see the report later. So with that, um, Council, if you'll introduce us to closed session. 
Thank you, Chair Bouquet. The board will now go into closed session to consider those items stated in the on the agenda. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. If you're uh, have a good evening, Council. If you'll uh, talk to us about closed session, the board took no reportable actions in closed session. Thank you, sir. Uh, audience, this takes us to item H1, the last uh, item of the evening. This is entitled Discussion and Possible Action Relating to the Approval of the Appointment Agreement with James E.T. Jackson for the CEO position. Um, I'm going to uh, give this one uh, to Trustee Banerjee and Friedman, who did a lot of the bulk of the work, to give us a brief introduction. Trustee Banerjee. Thank you, Chair Bukit. And um, thank you again uh, on behalf of Trustee Friedman and I. We were really honored to be um, on behalf of the full board to be uh, executing the, um, the and writing up the contract agreement for the permanent CEO uh, role. As you know, a couple months ago, the board had uh, voted to um, move ahead with the contract. Uh, this is one of the biggest jobs that a board can do. And it is fitting that it is the last item of the last meeting of our day um, um, of, of this year. So uh, some of the underpinnings uh, principles for this were that we wanted to make sure that um, we looked at data uh, to see uh, how we set the salary and we used um, our, we worked, uh, uh, Trustee Friedman and I worked in close partnership with um, our CHRO, Lorna Jones, and our general counsel, um, our president um, of the board. Daph um, Cookett uh, was also very much involved in advising this process. So we looked at um, the range of salaries and looking at the Gallagher reports, that is the standard. Um, survey that is used for CEO salaries across the nation. We looked at data, uh, the range from there. We looked at Transparent California, looked at California public hospitals and their salary ranges around that. We looked at the unique um, um, elements of, um, of our how our governance is set up and our relationships to county and salaries across those as well. And um, those were some of the factors that went into um, setting the CEO up salary. Um, at this time, the salary that was set for um, um, the CEO is 675,000 as a base salary with a 10% bonus for the first year or up to 10% bonus for the first year on metrics approved by the board. We also um, looked at some of the other elements and made sure that um, the, the other elements of the contract agreement really um, upheld where we wanted our CEO to not just adhere to, but really be, we, we are in a new phase in uh, AHS and to make sure that our CEO exemplifies and upholds the standards um, of conduct, of behavior, of culture that we want our, our entire CZ uh, Alameda Health System family to, uh, to embody and demonstrate. So on, um, those were the elements that we had. Um, we, um, so 
we hope that we uh, we can move ahead with the compensation package for uh, James Jackson for appointment to permanent CEO. Trustee Banerjee, yeah. thank, thank you very much for that very thoughtful summary. Trustees, any questions of Trustee Banerjee? Scanning the room, not seeing them. Trustees, uh, may we may I entertain a motion on this item H one? Uh, I would move approval of the compensation package for James Jackson in the amount of a $675,000 annual base salary up to a 10% bonus for the first year at the board's discretion and that we authorize trustee, trustees Banerjee and Friedman to finalize the employment agreement. I'll second the motion. We have a second. We have a motion by Trustee Fox, a second by Trustee Jensen. Um, Madam Clerk, can we roll call this, please? Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Spindoria. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Trustees, that was our last action of this year in regular board meetings. I want to take this moment to um, uh, state that this board uh, put its faith in uh, the interim CEO, Mr. Jackson, earlier this year, wanting to advance him to full CEO. This codifies it in the form of a contracting. So uh, appreciation and congratulations to Mr. Jackson and to this board, especially trustees Banerjee and Friedman, along with general counsel Azizi and CHRO Warner Jones. This was a process uh, and it appreciates that contracts do not necessarily move easily. I have great appreciation. Mr. Jackson, any final words for the evening, sir? Just sincere appreciation and I am, I am challenged and I am excited about that challenge and I look forward to working with the trustees and with the leadership team and the staff of AHS to really make this organization all that it can be. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. I, I meant, um, yes, I, um, and again, James, we are delighted uh, on behalf of the board. We have like full confidence um, in you and we are really happy to have uh, moved this along and also um, just again, an homage to Supervisor Chan, who has been like a part of this, you know, has been calling from time to time to say, has that happened yet? And mm -hmm. we knew that it had happened before we had to bring it to this meeting. And I know that she would have been very glad. So again, um, just um, uh, it has taken a lot of people to, to make this happen. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for those words. Audience. Trustees, executives, uh, uh, this closes our last board meeting of the year. Um, everyone have a great evening. Good night. <laughs>